Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Weekly Word Podcast. I'm Chris Hout, AIM Coach, and this is episode 125 of the Weekly Word Podcast. And as promised, I wanted to get out a podcast before I head down the coast on the coast ride with whopping 42 riders this year. Um, That includes me and, of course, Emily as well. So we're 40 clients moving down the coast in four days, 500 miles, just under 500 miles. I think it's 496 miles. And so it is the first sort of ultra endurance event for many of the year. And it's mainly the hours in the saddle. Sure, it's six to seven to eight hours a day. We're also limited to daylight. um, But and some will do it faster and some will do it a little bit longer, more on the eight hour side. Um, But it just is a long day from sunrise to sunset for most because of lunch stops and sag stops and so forth, that um, it's still tight. And it's still a lot of cycling and it's still a lot of time doing an activity, whether that's six and a half hours, whether that's eight and a half hours. So yeah, and it gives um, many a time to sort of dive into what their year will look like. And that's part of what I enjoy about the coast ride. Um, I ride sweep and it gives me time to sort of sit back and think and to look at the ocean and get a sense of my year, my intentions, my goals, my training, um, and just, you know, self-reflection and growth. And growth is actually a lot of the topic that we talk about today, whether it's growth in mindset, growth in courage, growth in how we choose events, growth in who you are as an athlete and a client and who I like and choose to work with, growth in so many ways of understanding the training and just diving in versus thinking too much behind um, on how it might go. Growth is in the process. Growth is how it unfolds, what we're learning while we're in it, and then going from there to seeing where we want to go. Until we're in the weeds, until we're in the process, it's hard to understand how this ultra endurance world, training, mindset, um, strategy, all works. And we need to be in it. And we need to quite honestly fail a fair amount because then we start understanding why we're doing the training, what we're doing and the concepts that we're doing it for. I talk a lot in this podcast about growth and who are you going to become in the process. And part of that growth is, as I just said, failing. But if I'm going to fail, I'm going to fail in the process of growing because that failure means I am growing. I'm expanding. I'm out of my comfort zone. I'm doing something new and um, unique to me where I've not been before. That's where the growth is, right? Where we're uncomfortable, where we don't want to be because that expands our horizons and that makes us more powerful for when we deal with adversity in general. You know, I received um, a variety of emails over the holidays with feedback and insights, and we go into that. But one of the things that I liked is um, receiving an article from somebody who listens to the podcast. And it was about how training is the stimulus that changes you. If you never change the stimulus, you never change the athlete. And I found that fascinating. 
Training is the stimulus that changes you. So in our case, training, what we're using for over ultra endurance is the stimulus that changes us to grow. That's the growth, right? If we don't change the stimulus, if we don't change the training, if we don't change our mind, if we don't change our challenges, where we want to go, if we don't change that, you never change the athlete, the person. You don't change if you don't change what the stimulus is, what your day-to-day is, how you expand yourself, your horizons, your mindset, your physicality, your mentality, and your spirituality. And that's the fun. Training is the stimulus that changes you. If you never change the stimulus, you never change the athlete. Now, I received that in a specific manner with regards to um, coaching principles, right? And how do you continue to progress said athlete when they've received, uh, they've achieved certain outcomes? Well, you change the stimulus. You continue to see where the greatest gains are in the stimulus that you're changing, and you go down that avenue. You follow that 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 path, that line, that um, that intuition, because that's where the athlete will have the greatest gains and also be engaged in the process because they're seeing that the stimulus has changed and that they're changing it, they're, they're growing, right? But yeah, that's a lot of this week's podcast. Growth, growth mindset, um, challenging yourself. Who to, Who do you want to be? So... I hope you enjoy this podcast. The next podcast, I will do a um, consulting interview that I did over the holidays that I think many of you will enjoy because it's sort of a way to look at the start of the year and new beginnings and how to engage in a new process, in this case, in exercising versus training. And um, yeah, it'll allow for me to catch up after the coast ride um, and get back into my routine of taking care of clients and then dealing with the podcast after. So next week I'll be back and uh, dive in from there. But just wanted to give you that heads up. And that's the next two podcasts. But enjoy 125 today. I think it meant a lot to me in describing this podcast and the way it unfolded because it was very meaningful in the things that I was talking about but also in the feedback and the emails I received that touch on so many aspects of what this community of you, all the listener and my athletes and so forth are all about. And I so appreciate that. And again, it's such a stimulating conversation when I get the feedback and the input and the questions and the um, observations of all of you along the way. Have a great week. I had the usual discussion with a prospective client that have a pretty, most actually have pretty audacious goals and audacious, not in a negative sense, but more grandiose, larger than life, adventurous, ambitious is probably the way I would describe these, these future outcomes. But the challenge becomes for many athletes because you're already thinking like an athlete, you have these goals and you have these ambitions, you have these things sitting out there and you're curious and you've taken the first step to start the process of researching and prepping by getting in touch with me. And so 
walking sort of th- walking them backwards from that goal, it becomes more of, well, what is it you've done? How have you prepared your body over the last few years in order to get ready for this audacious big leap, big jump in adventure? Um, and so oftentimes that is not the case. There has not been many years or a few years of preparing the body, our skeletal infrastructure, our scaffolding in order to be ready to take on the rigors, not only of the training, but the pounding and the durability, hormonally, adrenally, um, physically, mentally, spiritually, of what not only the journey will take to get to the start line or to the beginning of an adventure healthy, but then also to do the adventure. And it's an all-encompassing thought process, right? How do I prepare myself for something that big? In this case, many, many weeks of continuous activity for six, seven, eight hours a day. I mean, just thinking of that. Now, if you have years of experience of doing other activities that were multi-day, maybe not many weeks, but multi-day, or you have a huge platform of training or, or lack of injuries despite a durability or overusage, and overusage being not, again, in an injury perspective, but just sort of having really put your body through a volume ringer, day after day after day after day, month after month after month, that allowed you to remain healthy, well, then we're on to something. But that is the challenge as one is going through this. And it's back to what we've discussed many times before on this podcast. It's not a question of if. Very rarely do I push back on said athlete and say, you know what, I don't think this is possible. That comes down the road. That comes down the road when life or consistency or schedule or circumstances don't allow the training to happen. And then we need to have an ominous conversation around, is this really possible? Is this really, I mean, it sounds amazing. And I respect you greatly for having these ambitions and these goals and these desired outcomes, but it's just not the reality in the current version, current life you're living in. And which brings me back to the original point is not a question of if, it's a question of when, when. So even if your life is so busy and the current version of yourself can't do the training, keep up with the schedule, still it doesn't mean you can never, it just means just not now, just not in this window. Sticking to that lifestyle and that big audacious goal out there is important. It means a lot to us. We need the little flame within us. We want to have that North Star out there somewhere. There's days when the North Star is invisible. There's clouds blocking it, too much light pollution. Um, It might even be daylight. It's still out there. It's still out there. It doesn't mean we can't achieve what we want to achieve but maybe not now in the window. So back to, it's not a question of if, it's a question of when. So taking on ambitious goals like that without the platform and the durability and the history and sort of the insights, you just push that further out there. Can we? I think so. 
I think so. I never want to say no, but just being realistic in our journey, in our path to get to that North Star is going to be a different conversation, a different focus. Let's first get consistent. Let's first observe and do some of the training. Let's have some insights. Let's grow. Let's learn. Let's adapt. Let's reevaluate, learn, grow, adapt, reevaluate, learn, grow, adapt. Maybe put some races or simulations out there. You get a sense of the schedule then. You get a sense of your body then. You get a sense of your adrenals and your, your how your body in, is responding to the training. You get a sense of how fatigued you are with regards to life schedule and sleep and overall recovery, regeneration. Can you keep up this stress? Not stress in an anxious stress, but overload on the body daily, weekly, pounding, um, organization, uh, focus, um, regeneration, recharging, re rebuilding, and doing it again. That all becomes part of our picture. And then, all right, well, maybe I'm going to give this an extra year. Maybe I'm right on track and I feel really good in this sweet spot. I'm gonna let's go for it. Let's continue to drive forward and see where we are in another six to eight weeks or in another three to four months. I want us to get rolling always. I want us to get rolling and learning because you doing said activity, starting the training, starting the consistency, you're learning so much already along the way. And that is most important. For any ultra endurance dream, twinkle in our eye, nor star, future outcome, get rolling. And as we're rolling, whether that's triathlon, whether that's running, whether that's sailing, whether that's climbing, whether that's rucking, whether that's hiking, whether that's cycling, whether that's gravel biking, whether that's running, whatever the adventure is, or a combination of those, or adventure racing, or, you know, expeditions. All of those things, let's get rolling and sort of, it's not called learning on the fly. It's observing how we are in the, in the role, playing the role of athlete that we envisioned ourselves being. That's the important thing. And too often we stop before we start because the gap between right where we start becoming consistent and turning into the athlete and training and observing and learning and growing and adapting and uh, adjusting and so forth versus and the, the gap from there to said outcome, seeing ourselves running for a hundred miles and feeling great in the mountains, amazing, or seeing ourselves swimming big distances in a beautiful big lake or ocean and support team and crew and being cheered on and feeling good about how your fitness is progressing. Seeing ourselves doing said adventure. That gap between the two, we want to get into the meat and the dirt of it, which is the training. And then things turn into this 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 wrestling match of I love the training. I love what it feels like. I love how I'm getting fitter. I love how I'm breaking down and recharging. And I love that feeling. Or the wrestling match on the other side is, man, the training is a grind. But man, do I feel excited about the adventure, about the future outcome. And I keep that in front of me. Those are the two ways you're in the journey. But we got to get started. We got to be in there doing it and to learn, to see what our timeline is, to see when 
our when is. Not if, but when our when is. And it's a, it's a, how did, I'm trying to describe it best. It's a journey that is self-fulfilling because it also teaches us so much about ourselves along the way. There is no downside. That's what I meant, not self-fulfilling. It is, it is only positive. If we get injured, well, we learn something in our gen- gentle um, progression towards that injury that we overlooked signs or that we need to listen better to the body or that we have nutrition needs or that we have recovery needs or that we have gear needs or that we need to change our environment with regards to trails or pavement, all those different things. That's all part of it. And yes, an injury is a bummer, but an injury that we're learning from, right, allows us to become, once again, better athletes once we kick out of the injury. And we have time. I don't believe in this magical, mysterious slowdown when we're, let's say, 60 or 65. Well, okay, maybe 65 to 70 that we slow down for sure. But I believe that we still can take on the adventures that we want to take on and still do things that are ambitious and audacious and grandiose for who we are when we're 65, for who we are when we're 62. But we take care of that now. I just turned 50. I am thinking about how I want to live the fittest possible lifestyle, the fittest possible version of myself, the healthiest, most active, um, participatory, yes, participating instead of competing, but participating in big adventures and difficult things and experiencing life to its fullest in my 60s, doing the strength work, doing the consistency, using my swimming and the joints and the less impact but higher focus and um, volume again to maintain fitness and a platform and a foundation for the outstanding future outcomes and maybe that does mean competing but again constantly thinking what am i currently doing and how am i investing in myself to be fit and take on the adventures that I want to take on for the next 20 years. 20 years, that's a long time. I've only been doing ultra endurance sports for 20 years. If I think back, back to 1998, my first Ironman, all the things I've done since then, I want to do another 20 years like that. It's going to be awesome, but it requires training. It requires learning. It requires growth. It requires adapting It requires a different regeneration, recharge, replenish, rebuild process. It requires more detail to nutrition and sleep. It requires listening to my body in a different way than I listened to it when I was in my 30s, of course. And so from that, that is what I want to get across. We want to be smart in how we build this engine. We want to be healthy. We want to be durable. We want to be motivated to continue on to learn more, to keep going. We can't just dive into this. And I know we all have short-term adventures. We signed up for something or we want to get something done or we want to feel validated in the work that we're doing. Yes, but it requires a training journey. That's what ultra endurance is. Ultra endurance, besides the length of the distance, right? The qualification definition I talked about a few times on the podcast, ultra endurance is actually a true test in patience. What am I doing today for an outcome 
in the future? And what am I doing today in a patient manner that will not compromise my training along this journey to that future outcome? And where in the past, where in other training, where being an athlete in different endeavors allows you to feel on training day what you will be doing on event day. From an intensity standpoint, from a movement standpoint, from a mental focus standpoint, from a working hard standpoint, from being hunched over, beat up, tired, exhausted, but feeling alive because you're working hard towards your goal. Not in ultra endurance. In ultra endurance, it's consistency. It's volume. It's low intensity for many, many hours. Similar effect overload on the body, right? We've talked about energy burn in the past on how it remains the same, whether you do high intensity short time or low intensity long time, same amount of calories being burned, just a different way. It just feels so different, right? But um, that's, that's what ultra endurance is. The patience, the wherewithal, the... Um, the consistency, the commitment, the resilience to stick to a plan for a long-term outcome, for something well off into the future, and trusting yourself, and trusting your body, and trust that you can listen to it, and trust that it, the compound interest of your training inputs will build a platform of fitness that you feel confident to launch off of. Right in the back in the true principles of it, general foundation to then build sports specific towards the future outcome. Well, the general foundation of ultra endurance takes a long time to build. It just is what it is because again, it's an ultra endurance event. So the foundation, the general fitness foundation platform that you're working off of needs to be big. The pyramid, the base of the pyramid needs to be wide. And big so something I thought I'd dive into as I was having a discussion with um, an athlete about a perspective huge again endeavor that they're looking to take on and again my outcome is always driven by a simple premise I want you doing the training and being able to absorb it in a healthy sustainable manner in a systematic way of us progressing forward we're healthy, meaning sleep, adrenals, nutritionally, body, injury-free, meaning body is able to perform the training and absorb it and adapt to it and the progression, and in a systematic manner so that we're generally moving in a systematic manner towards a future outcome via coaching principles, via an organized focused approach where we're building layer upon layer upon layer that's systematic there's a system to it there's a method to the madness combine those three we will get to a point any athlete will get to a point where they are strong enough fit enough to then really dive into sports specific prep and work towards that outcome and then have a platform and feel good about where we're launching from not it's not even a, it's a it's not even a pivot it's a, just a 
I am so fit right now. I feel I can do the event. Now, now I'm going to get ready sports specific because I'm going to take this fitness and do that event better, stronger, faster, smarter, right? Because as we said, we are not training in order to participate. We're training in order to strive, not just survive, right? To thrive, not just survive. And in order to do that, foundation plus with incredible fitness, then launch into sports specific to do it stronger, better, stronger, that faster. All right, there's that. I'm currently exercising. Yes, all I'm doing is exercising. And we have defined that pretty clearly as going through the motions or staying, maintaining fitness with no specific outcome, doing something just to do something um, without any type of direction towards uh, a plan, a prescription, a progression. And that's true. I am currently exercising. I do have swim run Catalina in a few weeks, but nothing where it pushes me beyond what I'm currently familiar with and therefore know how to manage the training and maintain the training for that. But to me, when we're training for something, there's something big, ominous, ambitious, scary, curious out there, as we just discussed. And currently, I am floating a little bit. I don't have that big, audacious goal, desired outcome, future adventure sitting out there. Now, I have a few ideas and a few things that I'm hoping will fall into place, but those aren't happening yet. And until then, I've noticed that my training is just exercising. I don't have a plan that I lay out properly for the week. So when I put in my training plan for the week, which I always do, I automatically, it's, um, I can maneuver it so it fits to what I want to do, not what I need to do. Um, am I doing strength? Yes, I'm doing strength. In order to be prepared for specific strength once I know my future desired outcome. Again, maintaining a platform to be ready to launch from. But that's still exercising. I'm swimming a, a few times a week, not with any type of goal of yards or pace or growth, but just to be connected to swimming. And I love swimming, so it's not really a challenge there. But the challenge overall is to me and how I communicate this and how I live this is that we're not really training for anything or we're not really going out there unless we have some ambition and some curiosity towards something bigger, bigger than us in with regards to events, um, bigger than us, meaning something that we haven't done before or going faster than we have before or achieving more than we have before, that's out of what we're currently familiar with, out of our comfort zone, and that scares us, challenges us, keeps us connected to the training and the curiosity, and quite honestly, finding out who we are once we get there. Who we are once we get there, meaning in order to achieve something special, bigger than us, 
um, more challenging, a new us, a new event, a new distance, a faster event, a faster pace, we have to become a different person. And that journey is exactly what makes this training so meaningful and so fun. So I have a variety of examples of this this week and just in discussions here in the beginning of the year. So for example, I have an athlete who is asking me what she should do. It's a big, scary event. It's longer and harder than she's ever done before, a multi-day stage mountain bike event. And so, you know, at this time of year, getting ready or thinking about something, signing up for something scary, challenging, way beyond our comfort zone. She reached out and was like, well, what do you think? And I wrote her back in a very clear manner that there's some criteria we want to think about when it comes to selecting an event, right? Um, so it's not a question of can I for the event. It's can I do the training? The event presents itself as, a, as the challenge to apply all that you have trained. So can you train for this event? Do you have the hours? Do you have the time, whether in months or time in days, as in per day, to prepare for the event so that you feel prepared, um, you feel you're growing and getting fitter and stronger and smarter and faster? Um, so when you put that together, that gives you some insight. But also, can you train how long do you think this event will take? and what hours and simulations and engine can be built in the time available. That's part of your contemplation too. You're part of weighing if this is too soon to do this event, to do said event, any event where, that you might be comp, uh, thinking about. What does the training look like? So often I have athletes that ask me to get them ready for something and then it's a question of, oh, I didn't realize the training, like we talked about earlier. The part of this journey that we want to understand is what the training should feel and look and we envision it to be like, because that's where it's difficult. The growth, the progression, the expansion of to a new us, to a new normal happens in the training not in the event. The event usually is just a culmination of the training. And one thing is, is this the window to do it? I talk about, do you have the time? We just discussed that the health is your body prepared for the rigors of the journey of the training ahead? Is it going to be able to, is it healthy to take on something more than before? Can it handle the stress and the overload and the physical nature of the training, right? If we're not healthy or if we have a history of injuries or if we've coming off of some stress fractures and so on to jump right into something greater and bigger and more audacious than before might not be a good idea. We might want to do a different approach there where we first return to normal, to par, to a healthy self, and then take on the bigger, more challenging, more fearsome goal. But the last thing I talk about is the capacity to do it. And the capacity is our overall self. Do we have the bandwidth to train for something big and audacious? That means recovery and sleep and self-care 
Meaning, are we just creating more stress in our lives by signing up for this event and signing up for the training, but everything else becomes stressful? Our work life, our family life, our personal life, our community life. Well, then that's not the capacity we have. If it comes at a cost of the three-legged stool and other aspects, that's not capacity. That's just adding more stress, anxiety, and overload, not maybe physically, but also mentally and spiritually in that sense. You can't maintain that if it's always at the sacrifice of something else that makes us feel guilty and makes us feel, uh, we judge ourselves, not even makes us feel, that we judge ourselves, that we don't take care of our self, self-care. Am I getting sleep? Am I getting mental time? You know, these big training endeavors and ultra endurance, I speak to a lot of clients in a more life coaching aspect, whether those with busy lives or powerful lives or just overall questions about their lives. This is a question of having mental space. The training requires some downtime, some reflection, some exhale time. Um, some wind down time every day. You can't come back from a five, six hour run, five, six, seven hour bike, two, three hour swim, or a multi-event day of let's say strength and some muscular endurance and, 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 and simulations without some downtime, without just jumping right back into the next thing. Then you are not recovering, regenerating, recharging, and rebuilding properly. You are just going from one pressure, stress, in this case, physical, to another. And we need space, mental space, to have between the bouts and the sessions, not just of training, but of life. And so a lot of times with clients, we talk about what kind of space are you creating for yourself every day? How are you growing in your own personal space? Because you need that in order to be at your best at your work, to be at your best at with your family, and then to be at your best with your training. Because let's not forget, when we're in big training, when we're getting ready for something big, ultra-endurance-wise, it's basically those three buckets. We can have some community, we can have some other interests, but they really fall to the wayside most of the time when we're in that big window. Um, and again, that's part of that big audacious goal and that curiosity and that flame we're trying to <clears throat> either ignite or extinguish one way or the other. But self-care and the mental time is important. So what does that look like? Well, for this person getting ready for a thousand kilometer mountain bike stage race, that's quite challenging and a big deal. You know, when you're done or when you wake up in the morning that you have some downtime, that you have some time to, let's say, reflect and journal or have your coffee and think and prep thoughtfully, slowly, balanced um, for your training day. That three, four, five, six hours of training, which will re repeat, rinse and cycle the next day. When you watch pro cyclists in their daily routine, whether it's in season or preseason, the pace of their day is remarkably slow. They're conserving energy, mental and physical and spiritual energy at all times. Now you might have heard that they have their legs up all the time and that, yes, 
And that you might think from a physical sense, but they also know downtime. They know I need to rest my entire body, mental, physical, and spiritual, in order to be ready for the bouts of training that lie ahead, in order to maximize the absorption and the training that I'm doing, then I need the rest of the time, and again, they're doing this for a living, but this is just to highlight that, in order, and that means for the rest of the time, I am preparing and self-care for what that next bout of mental focus physical focus, and spiritual focus is. And yeah, a three-hour training ride, you might think, well, where's the spiritual focus? Well, we run out of mental. You can't just keep telling yourself mentally, push harder, go better, keep in mind cadence. What's my posture? What's my form? What's my wattage? What's, how am I doing? Um, how am I absorbing? I mean, you can't keep pushing yourself if it's not coming from a place of of um, peacefulness, gratefulness, restfulness, at ease. And when our body spiritually is at ease, it allows for us to tap into it mentally and physically in a deeper, more powerful, successful way. So that's all part of as we are looking into events and how we want to go about the training. Do I have the time to train for this event? Not the event. The event is four or five days, two, three days, one really long day for an ultra event. So can we do something for three, four, five days? Yes. Can we do something for two, three, four days? Yes. Can we do something for 24 hours? Yes. Can we engage our full self for that and be rested and healthy? Yes. It's the training of the six, eight months that is the challenge that decides if we can do it and decides that we see the simulations and the training and the adaptation that we build the confidence to get there. You know, I um, read a quote a few weeks ago, training execution for race day reality. I love that. Training execution for race day reality. Well, We need to execute the training, all of it, physical, mental, spiritual, um, recovery, regeneration, nutrition, right? Uh, Muscular, cardiovascular, um, all the aspects of training. We need to execute that in order for race day to unfold as a reality the way we envisioned it. That's the fun. Training execution for race day reality. Training execution for race day reality. So that's how I look at when we when we go over in this case ultra endurance events. Um, it's got to be you know a, a thought process of the training, and too often we focus on what we want to achieve, but we forget what the training execution needs to be in order for race day to be a reality. Now. We've discussed a lot on this podcast. Well, what is race day reality? Is it just finishing? Is it participating and just completing? Absolutely. That's totally, and therefore the training execution will tie into that. Um, and, and do you want to thrive or survive and so forth? That's race day reality. And then working backwards from that and the criteria in order to figure out how can you train? And is this a reality this year or a year or two from now? 
you know, because as we've said before, <clears throat> if you don't have the time, then we build it ever so gently so that when the window presents itself that you do have the time, you have the fitness ready to go to do it in a shorter time window because the general foundation and the platform and the connections and the training has been done consistently long enough so that therefore you can take advantage of a smaller window to get ready for said event, right? But the other example is um, how I don't want it to go. And that is, you know, I coach potential. Basically, I've learned that I coach potential, possibilities, and dreams. Your ultra-endurance dreams are things that have been curious within you for a while. Now, it might take a few years to let that play out, come to fruition, for you to recognize that you actually had more of a dream inside you than you thought. But basically, I coach that. I coach you to realize and hopefully understand and see and participate in the full process that you can achieve the things you didn't think were a reality to achieve, right? I called it, um, I read the other day, in order to do something you have never done, you need to become someone you have never been. That is my coaching, helping you train and become someone you have never been. And so with that, in order to become some, do something you've never done, you need to have those dreams and that excitement and that curiosity to become that next version of yourself, right? And so I'm looking to work with athletes like we talked about last week, that either the event is interesting or the person is interesting. But the big part, the, the part that combines the two, the event has to be interesting because it's interesting to the athlete to grow to challenge themselves, to want to become their next version. And it ties into the person I want to have a beer with because they are interested and open and vulnerable to grow. And therefore, that makes the event and them interesting either or. And so I had an athlete the other day who reached out after some time of me not coaching him. He's like, well, I'm ready to come back and have a variety of events. And this is what I achieved last year. And this is what I'm looking to achieve this year. And I wrote him back after thinking about it and looking about it and looking at it and also knowing how he worked with me last time. I said, you know, I'm sorry, this is not stimulating for me. Um, for you to not challenge, it's basically, he did a 50k last year, he's looking to do a 55k this year. Great. He did Kilimanjaro and another mountain, uh, Mount Baker last year. Um, he's looking to do Elbrus this year. Great. Um, he deferred Leadville last year, he's deferring it this year because life might get in the way. Um, and maybe a another event here or there. But nothing is growth. Nothing is challenging. Nothing is unfamiliar. Nothing will motivate him, which I had an issue before, that his growth was not um, big enough to motivate him to truly do work versus and be vulnerable and to try harder and come from it from a different angle versus just doing what you usually do. That's why I said, no, there is no growth there. I want to work with athletes that want to grow. And you might say, well, Chris, if I'm looking to not necessarily do more, um, does that make me an uninteresting athlete? Well, if you're looking to go faster, better, stronger, smarter, absolutely. We flush that out as we're discussing that. You know, I had an athlete who last year did Everest, but this year he's doing some trail races. You can say, well, that's not growth. 
It's taking it to a different area and stepping into something he's never done before. He's never been a running athlete. He's willing to grow and get uncomfortable and be vulnerable, right? Vulnerable being, vulnerable being that he's not good at it. He knows he's never been a good runner, never been deemed himself as a runner. And he wants to try that. That makes him interesting. That makes his events and him interesting because he's willing to go somewhere where he's uncomfortable. He's willing to go somewhere where he will need to learn. And he will have to have the beginner's mind again. And look at it. He's an expert in many other fields, but he's going to be taking a beginner's mind and a rookie approach to running. He can climb Everest. <laughs> and yet he has to take a beginner's mind to running. But that's what makes the person the human interesting, that we can learn and adapt and go into different directions and continue to challenge ourselves and make that piece part of the whole that makes us a better version of ourselves. That's the fun. And that's the coaching. I don't need or want or am interested in coaching people who want to stay the same, who want to just be stagnant and not challenge themselves. But Chris, there is uh, life and the three-legged stool might not allow for growth. Agreed. But there's other ways to grow, right? Better, stronger, smarter at the same events or even shorter. But it's an overall picture of I'm not just delivering a training plan. I want to deliver some sort of stimulus to growth that by the end of 2020, you're a better athlete, a smarter person, a smarter athlete, a better version of yourself. You've grown in some way that it's a better contribution of you to the world than you were at the end of 2019. And if I can have some sort of aspect in that, I would be honored. Because the growth happens in you, the athlete, not in me, but for me to help stimulate that you engage in that growth, in that uncomfortable place, in doing things that you are not familiar with or have a beginner's mind in or need to um, really push yourself out of your comfort zone to achieve. That is what I believe my coaching is. That is coaching. That's guiding others to become a better version of themselves. Guiding, supporting, being there, bouncing ideas off of that. In order to do something you have never done, you need to become someone you have never been. And that difference, that delta between who you are now and the someone you want to become because you're doing something you have never done before, that's the growth. That's the space. That's where I want to be with you, the athlete. And so with that, I'm exercising. I don't have that growth event right now. And it's January 15th. Coast Ride is in two days. And I have four days of eight hours a day on my bike to sort of work into that, lean into that, figure that out. Come the next two-ish weeks, I want to know what that growth will be where I am heading, where I'm getting uncomfortable, how I can challenge myself to new places and new fears and lean into new uncomfortable places, whether that's ocean swimming like I've talked about, which I am not comfortable with, whether that's um, 
events that are longer or more difficult or more humbling than I've been before, right? This isn't about doing a triathlon. I've done enough of those Ironman triathlons, 40 plus of them. Um, I know every part of that. So that's not growing and faster, better, stronger. Eh, you know, not enough to grow. So I've got to find something that challenges me or humbles me due to the result because I'm a newbie in it. I'm a rookie in it. I'm a beginner in it and finding something like that. That's what I'm looking for. And that's why I'm currently exercising because I don't have that North Star yet. I have the criteria for it. Understanding the training, understanding the journey, and understanding why I want to do what I want to do. But I don't have the event, the adventure, the curated expedition, whatever that is. I don't have that yet. There's a couple of things I have out there that will challenge me. Hiking with friends on the John Muir Trail for a couple days, four or five days. That's going to be different for me too. But again, it's a different challenge and stimulus there. But Overall, still exercising. And once I do have something where I switch into, I'm now training because there's a prescription, there's a path, there's a specific outcome, there's an intention, there's a clarity, there's a purpose behind it, I will let you know. Many are not surprised, but somewhat confused in that when we start our training, it isn't always as specific towards the event that they thought that they would be getting ready for pretty quickly. And again, that's going back to that general foundation. Because first, get in the training. It might not fit what you had envisioned doing, but first, get in the training. Let's get started. Let's get consistent. Let's get fit. Let's get durable. And then, once that has been established and the body recognizes the consistency and the training and what we're doing and can start adapting and absorbing and metabolizing and preparing and subconsciously knowing the routine, then narrowing the focus to the events can become a reality. But first, get training. Let's get rolling. In ultra-endurance, too often athletes want to step right into sports specificity because they believe they already have the foundation and the platform that they need or that it is quite good compared to their old self, for sure. But remember, the better that foundation, as I said earlier, the better we're going to have a launching point and a higher pyramid that we're building on that platform from. So, we want to um, have a deeper level of fitness. And without a general foundation of fitness and durability and diversity in events and mixing up the training, that foundation is shallow. It risks injury. It risks that the body doesn't make the adaptations and the fitness gains we want. But it also risks burnout. And that is because the body is confused on what we're doing which phase, which adaptation, where are we with this? Metabolism can't find steady state. The body doesn't recognize the training the same way because it hasn't been asked to do it for long enough, consistent enough, general enough, um, very gradual enough growth for long enough. So first, let's get in the training. And then 
we'll move into sports specific work. Remember, if you look at it from a big picture standpoint, sports specific work is actually not that um, long of a window. If you have outstanding fitness from your general foundation to go from, then the sports specific work will come naturally and you will actually have this perpetuating flywheel effect because your fitness will feel good doing it sports specifically. You're going to be surprised like, wow, I'm pretty fit. I thought I was a lot further behind, but I actually feel really good, really prepared, really strong right now. And I still have another eight weeks to continue to sharpen this blade, which then makes the training more purposeful intentional because you're enjoying it and you see the gains which then therefore makes the training more effective which then gives you more confidence which puts us back into the race day reality that you're looking for so keep that in mind let's just get training first versus thinking too much well how come i'm not doing this and how come i get a lot of those questions and that's where i almost always push the athlete You'll learn in your training what we're doing, why we're doing, feel it, observe it differently versus just looking at it on paper or on a computer screen in Training Peaks. Let's get training. All right. Well, as promised, I have a variety of emails and different topics to go through this week. Um, and, the, and the topics are related to emails. So I want to d- jump into as many as I can before... I close this pre-coast ride podcast out and hopefully there's some concepts and values and insights and training principles in there that help you become that better growth-minded athlete that I've been talking about for most of this episode. So the first, um, the first few are about the feedback that I requested. And so I just want to read them live and do them live because um, it sort of gets the better reaction, which is part of the feedback I've received. Um, hello, Chris. Um, this is from Max. You're awesome. I've been on the Weekly Word podcast-a-thon recently. I found out about you through Rich Roll. Great discovery. You seem like such a kind, loving, passionate human. <laughs> Don't tell my kids that. <laughs> They're going to be like, no, with us, he's strict and he's often impatient. And uh, well, anyway, this morning in my daily journaling was a weekly challenge. See attached pick. You can see I just throw these in my um, in my email box and don't really read them prior. So it's sort of like a, how I like to do it. Just react versus be too prepared in my response. Um, um, This week's challenge was to me email an inspiring person. So you are the chosen one. Thank you. Quick intro. Um, Not long ago, not even a year ago, my life was not going in a good direction with drugs and alcohol. I decided I need to make a drastic change in my life. So I did a 10-day silent meditation retreat called Vipassana, which reconnected me to my true self. After that, I knew I needed to be active but couldn't afford a gym membership, so I started running late March this year. This is 2019. I have never ran except from cops or to catch the bus. I really love running, 
so I decided to do a marathon, which you can hear in my voice. These are the um, stories, the inspirations, the reason I love to coach. Having a tiny, tiny influence and impact on any one person's life is this, is this podcast, is the coaching, is the just day-to-day communication with people out there to connect them to their true athletic self, which that athletic self solves, helps, is such a huge part of who we are as human beings. It's primal and being able to be active and express ourselves physically on a daily basis in an endurance format, which means low heart rate and volume and durability. And I understand the whole hit discussion, but, um, and the values to that, I, I get it, but I believe that the, the endurance self is a more powerful part of our primal being and our DNA and our evolution. And so therefore, I think it fires things differently, reflection, meditation in its own way, the going into self and spending some time thinking on a daily basis can't be done at high intensity stuff, because you're barely hanging on with heart rate exploding, the mind works differently when it's under flight and fight versus steady, aerobic, controlled, measurable homeostasis. Um, output. So I'm sorry, I got distracted there. I decided to, I decided to, uh, I did the New York marathon this past November with a time of 341. Moreover, I decided I had raised $3,500 in order to participate in a, in about four months time. That was the true challenge, not knowing how I was going to do that, but I did. And I raised 3940 US dollars. Again, growth, people. Growth, which is amazing. Everything here says growth. Felt lost the next two weeks post-run. And remember, we have to be careful with this lifestyle too. I will say that with that asterisk in here. We can't go from one addiction to the other. And I know I'm preaching a little bit and being sort of absolute in my opinions. I just want awareness awareness to what our addiction is and if we're escaping one thing drugs and alcohol um, with another escape ultra endurance athletics but avoiding the growth of ourselves and our inner self and our self-care and our awareness and our reflection and our rumination and our internal voices and our story of our past and our self-judgment and our self-love all that if we overlook that then this ultra endurance journey will get derailed because that um, will come at some point. It will bubble up at some point. What you resist persists and it will bubble up. Um, for the next two weeks post run, I felt lost, decided to get into another wild ride. So I registered for Ironman Montreblanc in 2020. Careful here, Max. Been in the pool a lot lately. I could barely swim 25 meters a month ago, and but I'm getting better now. I'm an intense person. Just got to watch out for the injuries. Yes, you do. But you also have to watch out for those internal injuries where the soul might be injured and use this time in order to 
see who you truly are, right? Um, your weekly word podcast is so full of insight and so generous of you to offer all that knowledgeable insights, tips, etc. I have no problem with listening to your voice occasionally. The dog barks and email notifications. Yes, <laughs> I have received a few emails on this about people saying that's distracting. And if that's something they can give feedback on, I'm sorry, you guys. I just don't have a studio or produce this in that type of format. I'm in my office and it's about 15 feet off my um, kitchen. And yes, I we have three dogs. And yes, <laughs> we have four kids. And yes, life happens around me. So I can't always just tell everybody to zip it. I'm recording. Um, that said, I've listened to about 20 episodes so far in the last month. <laughs> My plan is to listen to all your podcasts before Iron Man Day. I can't seem to find episode 1 to 23 on the podcast app. So I started from 24. I'm at episode 39 now. I think iTunes has all the podcasts. Mark my word, one day I'll be able to afford your coaching. Um, that'll be awesome. Until then, I'll keep tuning into the weekly word. Thanks for everything. I wish you had the happiest of holidays, full of love and great times. I appreciate that. Soak it all in, coach, just like I like I am soaking all in all your weekly words. You'll definitely be a huge part of my success and a companion for the eight months leading up to Ironman on race day. Well, so there weren't a lot of questions in here, but there were some commentaries that I wanted to bring up. And I think we pulled from there. And I like the way Max already talks about part of my success. It is success. He is already a different person from when he started this journey. And he's only going to continue to grow and become a new person over and over again. And again, like I read the other day, once we reach new horizons, once we stand on a new pedestal and platform and get a chance to look around, once we're on top of one hill or mountain, right, and we've seen that perspective, we've seen that horizon, we don't go backwards. We don't go back to the valley and stay there. We have a new perspective. Now that becomes our new normal. That becomes our new perspective and our new horizon. And so accepting that and realizing that like I was mentioning earlier, let's keep climbing. Let's keep being curious on what's up the next hill and on the next mountain and what the view and the perspective and the horizon looks like from there. Because again, it just continues to broaden our horizons for lack of a better term. And that broadening is now who we are. We've seen that view and we don't want to go back down into the valley and be content there. We want to keep climbing and striving and growing and expanding. So thank you for that email, Max. All right, another email with feedback. Um, Brady, well, I'll start off with this. Thank you. I never thought I'd embark on this kind of journey, nor did I know that this whole thing existed. <laughs> but I'm so glad I found this community, especially your podcast. Yes, this whole thing does exist. And with that said, oftentimes we overestimate how big this community is or how meaningful this world we think is. And what I mean by that is we can't take ourselves too seriously in this world either. There's more happening in the world than just this ultra endurance world. And our perspective and our values and what we've noticed and how we've grown 
doesn't mean the rest of the world and has grown around us with it. So our tolerance and our acceptance, our acceptance and our graciousness and our, our um, calm demeanor of taking in the world as it is while we are growing needs to be an important factor to keep in mind. It's part of our awareness because um, our health and our lifestyle and who we are might not work for a lot of people. So this whole thing does exist, but be patient with others that don't know it exists yet. I finally made it through all 123 episodes. Wow. And I've learned a great deal from the conversations you've had about endurance training, lifestyle, and mindset. Well, then you'll like today's episode. My life is more balanced now than ever, and I feel like I'm I'm my best self, current current version of myself, smiley face. I'm training for my first half triathlon at Lake Logan, North Carolina in August, and I'm finding the swim-bike-run combination more fun than just running and a great challenge. Growth, again. I love all of you who are in this growth place where you are becoming different version of yourselves. You're willing to challenge yourselves and grow. That's what this podcast is all about. I've got some feedback for you, and I was waiting until I caught up with all the episodes to give it to you. See, this is the fun part, sharing the feedback, negative feedback on on the, the show. Also, I thought it was ironic that you ended podcast 123 asking for uh, feedback. So, so here it goes. Podcast guests. I've really enjoyed the interviews and guests on your podcast, but they're not the only episodes I like. I think they add variety and it's beneficial to hear you provide coaching and insights live. Whether from now on you have a guest on every episode or you never have one on again, I'd still listen. Yes, um, and then next week, because I'm on the coast ride, I have an interview with a potential uh, a client, not potential, with a client, a con- consulting call, which I thought was very um, appropriate and um, a good way to sort of dive into the new year. It's a good January call, and I hope you all enjoy that one. So that's coming up next. Um, Audio, especially during some interviews, volume is very inconsistent. (laughs) I know some interviews I've had to turn down the volume because parts were too loud. Yes, that and the dog barking and the doorbell ringing. (laughs) You're basically in my living room. Uh, nutrition segments. Yes, I know. This is see, this is the negative feedback. I'm looking forward to the nutri- nutrition segments you are planning. Nutrition is a tough one, and getting more insights on this will definitely benefit us all. They don't necessarily need to be once a month, but as as enough questions pile up on your in your queue, or if there's some new insight you'd like to expand upon, it'd be great time to dedicate an episode to this. I've been dabbling in marathons and like for a couple of years now and the like for a couple of years now, and I would say I've only scratched the surface, okay? Yes, the nutrition piece is coming. I even now have Emily bugging me saying, you said we're doing the podcast, when are we doing it? Favorite episode. One of the episodes that sticks out most to me is the one with the client of yours that was in the military and training overseas. Yes, <laughs> getting ready for Ultraman while I was running one-mile circles. Um, I found the conversation fascinating with respect to the training you had him doing, the rapport the two you shared, and the mindset he had while training and being that in that environment. Yes, he has been. Tommy was amazing and remains a good friend. That's all I can think of for now, Chris. I may have an email or to follow with some five-mile run test data. 
I've been slacking in the zone training and want to dive deeper into that space. Well, good. I wish you the best of 2020 and have a good one. Thank you, Brady, for the feedback. And again, I hope on some of that, we had some value. And despite there not being really any questions, I want to share these because they sort of give you an insight also into how I'm thinking and how I go about this. All right, well, let's dive into a question question. All right, this one comes from Nathan. First of all, I really enjoy your podcast and in particular the holistic perspective you bring to training and life. It is something that is missing from many coaching approaches out there and in my opinion, really makes you unique in that space. Well done. I completed my first 100 miler running over a year ago, Wasatch 100, which I know you did as well beast of a race (laughs) and have signed up for a new 100 miler this year the wyoming range 100 Hmm. it looks pretty intense but an adventure all the same i have also decided that i would like to complete another race that would allow me to put my name into the utmb lottery for 2021 the wyoming race is scheduled for august 21 through 23 but now i'm also looking to complete the bryce 100 at the end of may since the Wyoming race is my A race, do you think it would be wise to use Bryce race as essentially a long training run? Or think, should I look um, to a race in October or November that would also fill that need for a second race? As a bit of context, I completed Wasatch in 31 hours exactly and actually negative split the race, feeling strong at the end and not even being sore the next day. Wow, that's pretty awesome. <clears throat> I have about six years of ultra running experience behind me, as well as two years of Ironman training experience. That was nearly 15 years ago, though. I guess my question basically boils down to how to plan a season around 200-mile races. You may, may have already answered this during a podcast, but I'm still playing catch up. In any case, I would really appreciate any insight or advice you have. Again, I love the podcast and really appreciate the work you put into it. Also interested in volunteering some time to generating more extensive show notes for you if that's something you would like to pursue at some point. I'm looking for ways to give back to people and efforts I find adding value to my life. Your podcast is one of them. Well, that right there is awesome. Thank you so much. I am actually working on show notes um, to catalog them and capture them in a better way so that you can go back and find them with um, an employee that I'm um, hiring slash working with and developing. So yes, I've gotten to a point where I'm hiring. Isn't that crazy? Anyway, so to the question, 200 mile races. So how would I go about that? Um, well, given that Wyoming is your A, so a, a couple of things go through my head. One, you never want to, um, with a 100-mile race, you never want to just put all your eggs in one basket. Bryce might go really well and feel really good. And as it's unfolding, because you were conservative in your approach and relaxed and sort of treated it in a different way, not a uh, so so as a focused, tightened up a race, um, you might want to take the value of Bryce and just go for it. Um, if things are going well, the body's feeling healthy, the training has gone well, you're in the race and in the event and the body's holding up well and fueling and nutrition is going well, mindset is going well, the experience is going well, the weather is going well. Well, you don't want to 
treat that then as a training day. Um, you want to use the opportunity to run 100 as for what it is, the opportunity to get another one under your belt and learn from it and possibly progress to a place that you didn't think you were going. Um, a training run is only as good as the effort that you put into it. And if it's too much of a training run, that one that you don't take seriously, then you can't use the value of it to really gauge your fitness and your training and so forth. It has to be treated, in my opinion, as a race in order to be compared apples to apples to see how you're doing in your training if you're absorbing properly if the fitness is coming along well if the durability on the back end of a hundred um, is going is, is materializing the way you want it to well then you have to lead into said event in this case Bryce the same way as you would into Wyoming or as you did into Wasatch but otherwise it's the data isn't as comparable valuable insightful um, so that's one aspect um, two if you're planning to do Bryce at the end of May I think is it yeah and then you have um, all of June all of July and part of August for um, Wyoming so it gives you basically two and a half months of which you're going to need some time to kick out of Bryce so it gives you maybe just under two months to have some effective training. It'll take you a good three weeks to, let's say, properly get out of um, Bryce, get that out of your system and to have effective training, one which you're growing, absorbing, progressing from. You can train, but it won't be um, an adaptation. It'll be sort of active recovery and staying connected muscularly as well as how you're firing, firing neuromuscularly. But so that gives you a little bit under two months to still have a significant impact. Yes. So the, the, the concerns here are what will it take out of you adrenally, mentally, physically, as you go through a hundred mile buildup and then come off of it and try to build again? Are you going to be depleted from a body um, hormones and adrenal standpoint? Question one. Are you going to be depleted mentally, getting yourself up to, to push through 100 again? Um, are you going to be fatigued, depleted physically, where you're just not back to your fresh, natural, light on your feet, enjoying running and feeling good running self um, in time for Wyoming? Because, you know, a 100-mile event takes people different times to recover from it. So <clears throat> that's the, the dilemma you are in. Um, if many people do a 50 mile race to get prepped for a 100 mile race, and that we obviously, for obvious reasons, recover from way click quicker. And um, really, we put ourselves out there for the 50 um, and then recover from that, use that 50 as a training stimulus as well, and then continue to move up towards the 100. The problem with 100 prior to 100 is that it can't be really used as a training accelerator stimulus because it leaves us so shelled, um, even if going easy. 
And even though you felt good after Wasatch and you were fine two days later and felt pretty recovered, what's below the surface because you didn't ask yourself to tax it is the challenge. We often feel quite recovered in our day-to-day from the event Um, But then when we ask ourselves to start running in the mountains again or pushing into some deeper physical exertions, not really there. The engine peters out Um, unless you know that and you tried that and you have experience with that. So the question I would have there too is um, given that you said you're looking to put your name into the UTMB lottery, um, I also have decided I would like to complete another race. Now, do you need another 100 or will a 100K or a 50 miler um, help you get those points? Now, can you do a 50 miler in the spring, do Wyoming, and then do another 50 miler or 100K in the fall? Now you're looking at a different buildup, trying to put all your eggs into those two baskets and risk injury, risk depletion, risk overwhelming mentally um, might be a lot to ask for yourself. So... Those are all the things I would think about. Now, um, the other, the, the final part that I would look at here is that you are thinking October or November to fill that need for a second race. The beauty of after an A race having another event lined up, whether you do it or not, means that you, in case something happens at Wyoming, and you, let's say, either don't finish or don't finish the way you wanted to, whether it's sickness, whether it's injury, whether it's life circumstances, whether it's whatever it could be. 100 miles is a long way for everything to go smoothly, as you know. Um, to have something else on the calendar beyond that is quite, um, it feels quite good. And it's nice to have because then you can say, all right, I have another opportunity to use this fitness in case, let's say you DNF and you can still get that hundred miler in that you mentioned and then still work around some other events to get some more UTMB points. So, um, those are the approaches that I would take to it. It'd be hard to say. I would never, as you all know, never say you can't, do 200 milers. Um, but that's how I would go about um, uh, contemplating if I should do Bryce plus Wyoming. Um, so it was just to recap, it was either go for Bryce and take Wyoming along with it, because you might feel great at Bryce and then just finish Wyoming, although Wyoming might be beautiful, but if you have a good Bryce in you, then Wyoming taking in the scenery and the fitness and not being pressured into having another good performance because you've already had a good performance and Bryce is also spectacularly beautiful, um, then that might be an approach. Second is risking recovery and the body and how that works, maybe consider without risking Wyoming too much and being flat from Bryce, maybe do a 50 miler in the spring and 100K in the fall and therefore have the opportunity to still get just as many points with two events that are shorter plus Wyoming um, to get towards UTMB. And then the third approach would be um, contemplating a 100 miler like you wrote after Wyoming and saying, I'm going to take Wyoming best I can do, use my fitness, build it to that, and then pick up a hundred miler after with Wyoming in case anything went wrong. I have that opportunity. Or even if Wyoming went really well, it's just enjoying 
the momentum and the free fitness of Wyoming into that second one with just basically finishing it to get the points. So hope that helps. All right. Hi, Chris. Quick question regarding strength sessions. You recommend that we do them before run to activate bigger muscle groups and engage stabilizer muscles and be able to run on tired legs. But I was wondering if there's any benefit to doing strength session after, say, a 45-minute to one-hour easy run. Um, yes, of course. I mean, there's definitely benefits. Now, though, you've switched the stimulus. So you run 45 minutes to an hour easy, and now you're looking to do strength on that. So what is the desired outcome? Again, intention, clarity, and purpose around our training. Are we looking to have the best possible strength adaptation today? Or are we looking to have a good run today? And since I'm always looking for strength being the focus, the anchor of the day, for example, I'm doing strength today. Um, it will be my anchor of workouts for the day. Everything else around there is in support of the strength because I want to have the maximum possible absorption and adaptation from doing the strength. Otherwise, you know, you don't just go to the strength, strength room. You don't just go to the gym in order to just go through somewhat easy motion strength, number one. And number two, is there really a benefit of doing strength tired? Right. If we're looking for the best adaptation, strength is done best, uh, not fresh that you're completely rested from a week, but fresh for that day so that you can expand your strength portfolio, what you're able to put up with it, either in mass or in repetitions or in clean motions or in control versus doing it somewhat tired. Now, there's definitely an argument out there. If I consistently come into strength tired, then the values of the strength are always based off of the same fatigue level, and therefore it's apples to apples. Agreed. But to overall, the picture is, for me, and the way I apply it to athletics and my coat of athletes, is my anchor of the day is the strength work. Everything about around that is in support of did I have the maximum adaptation for the strength? In general, when you're training, when we're all training, we basically have one session a day where that's the anchor, whether that's a bike, that's a run, that's a swim, that's a first run, that's a second run, whether that's a tempo one, that's a track workout, whether that's a speed swim, whether that's a recovery swim, whether that's an open water swim, whether all the different things, there's different aspects of each workout and how they're the anchor of the day. Is the morning speed session short, explosive, powerful, and the afternoon aerobic, long, active recovery, zone two, clean form and motion, one supports the other. <clears throat> if I were to do the speed in the afternoon on tired legs, it's not really the purpose. We want freshness, explosiveness, good connections, good firing, mental freshness, good focus um, for that. So coming into that fatigued, eh, yeah. Now, there's a durability question there, of course. If I'm doing speed and strength on on tired body, I'm learning the durability and muscular endurance. We can get that in different ways versus doing the anchor workout, the focus workout, the intention workout of the day. 
very cleanly. And then the other ones is where we can turn our brain off a little bit. So, um, you know, a morning swim session with an afternoon run, um, a morning swim session with an afternoon speed run, um, very common. So uh, you do a morning swim session, masters or, or, or a, a specified workout. Now the, 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 the load and the pounding and the fatigue and the breakdown on the body from that morning swim session might be um, is different and might be less taxing. And then therefore with three, four, five, six hours of recovery, that afternoon speed session on the track or running or hill repeats, you know, that might be plenty. If that morning swim session is a solid, you know, 4,500 yards and it really asks you to dig deep and you're just really shelled from it, that four, five, six hours is not really enough in order to have an effective absorption of hill repeats. But Chris, um, you do doubles and talk about doing things on a tired body. I agree. There is some endurance aspect and durability aspect there when getting ready for longer events and I there is, but then we're just focused on, you know, maybe some tempo work, but mostly aerobic work, clean form, good posture, good leg turnover, being able to click into that when tired, different intention, different prescription for that. And so that's not necessarily art, the art of coaching. It's just more the art of listening. The art of listening to the athlete and knowing what works and needs and what absorption is being handled and how to put the puzzle pieces into place for the week that allows for you, the athlete, to have the best possible progression and growth towards the future outcome that we're excited and somewhat fearful and signed up for. So I hope that helps, Brian. Um, Brian's a former athlete of mine who sent in that strength question. So again, know what our outcome is. What's our anchor workout? Here's another feedback one from Rob. Thanks for all that you do. I'm enjoying your nice and long podcast during all my training, in particular, how you handle the mental aspects of training and life. <laughs> Did plenty of preaching today. Um, you also asked for some feedback and improvement of the podcast. Here's my one, two, three. One, watch out for background noises. Yes. I agree. We've talked about that. Two, maybe write down a few of your mantras on the website. For example, train where you are, not where you want to be. I like them, but I can't write them down while I'm driving, etc. Agreed. And um, this is something the guy I am working with and planning to introduce and so forth um, uh, it has said a variety of times too. So once he is fully on board... And um, I have him introduced and I can work with him as my partner, helping me become a better coach as well as better podcaster, better social media, better everything. We will work on this. I agree with you. Um, he has said himself, there's so many quotes and mantras that you have out there. We need to capture them and just categorize them and put them out there so that there's um, more to dive into there. So I thank you for that. Three, I really enjoy the consultations. They help show the advice in real context. Consider maybe doing a few of these from your training camps. Will be great for, to hear from your athletes training with you. Um, <clears throat> interesting question or feedback because as I'm going on the coast ride, I've been thinking about how to combine that um, 42 athletes riding down the coast um, and capturing some of that, how that would work with the podcast. So 
don't know that yet, but I definitely know for the training camp, that can definitely be a part of it. At the training camp, I plan on an afternoon um, uh, question and answer session that we will record and I will put on the podcast. So how do you like that? So speaking of which, speaking of which, this saves me from bringing it up later on. I am not going to do the swim camp or the swim clinic. I'd rather put my efforts and time into the training camp and make that more effective. And then we will do very focused additional swim work for anybody that needs it at the training camp. I have pool time, I have open water time there. And so it'll just encompass it better combined with the other aspects of the training camp with nutrition and mindset, as well as podcast, as well as other growth opportunities, which I have not announced yet. But um, yeah, so from that perspective, I want you all to know I am not going to do the swim clinic. I also didn't have enough people, let's say three or four said that they would be interested in coming in. And I'd rather again, put that effort into the training camp, April 16th through 19th in Sonoma County, California. So um, new venue, we've trained last year, the last few years in Sonoma, but new venue for the hotel and new venue for restaurants. And it's just going to be a fun four or five days, five if you're doing some extra swimming and training here um, in April. So more details are coming on that. As soon as I'm done with the coast ride, I basically go right into training camp mode planning for that time slot of my weekly sort of work responsibilities. Um, and then post that, I go into my run camp planning right after Sonoma. And then right after run camp planning, training, <laughs> training camp planning, I go into um, Oregon Coast Ride run, uh, cycling camp training and prep. So that's what it keeps my year in an equal format that when I'm, I break up my week by tasks, um, sort of uh so Mondays I work on training plans and Tuesday I work on training plans and Tuesday afternoons I'm usually getting to client communication and check-in and how everybody's doing that rolls into Wednesday Wednesday afternoon I start preparing for podcasts and spend that training camp or next event time Thursdays is also putting out some fires and prepping for podcast and more training camp and overall general planning and then Fridays, I usually podcast. So that's sort of how the week unfolds for me. Of course, there's a zillion little things in between there. And then, um, you know, so that's the growth um, of the week <laughs> for me. But anyway, but I will do that with um, the consultations and that training camp with regards to the Q&A and getting more information out there like that. So let me see if there's another question in here because he talks about his, oh, the question. Um, he has a background, 47-year-old, running since 40, no sports background beforehand. So seven years of running, ran marathons, mountain races for four years until meniscus surgery, marathon PR 255, best race, um, best in race of 330, huh? Marathon, oh, marathon personal best in training, 255, best in race, 330? What's going on there, Rob? Now I'm confused. I took a break from running to recover and focused on open water swimming, racing from 2 to 10K. I missed the adventure of running, however. Yeah, running is a little bit more stimul <laughs> stimulating than swimming, <laughs> even in a lake. 
um, November 2017, I bought a road bike and loved it. Decided to go try Olympic Kirchbechel near my home in Tirol. Needed better running legs with a 46-minute 10K. Now, next try was Zurich Ironman, July 2018. 111 swim, 610 bike, 417 run. Pretty balanced. Um, solid swim. The bike and the run need some work. 11.55, blistering hot day. 36 Celsius on the run. Okay, and uh, the next, the try bug was officially... For me, got myself a coach, Mario Heis in Tirol. I know him, yes. Next try was San Pelten, half in 2019. 32, 246, 130. Wow, that's a lot better. 457. Really happy with the race. I was ran with full gas to the end. Age group 39th out of 293. I was lucky to get a place in Challenge Rot. 103, 520, 347. Again, very balanced. Nice racing. Um, we've talked about the balance before here. 103 swim, 520 bike. The run is probably the one that falls out of the category the most. I'd like to see that after a 520 and a 103 to be around 335 to make it really balanced according to my personal formula, the way I see it. But, um, ah, yeah. This time I had a good race, but slowed down 10 kilometers into the marathon. So you see that as well, Rob. Um, interesting, Rob. Um, your name, Rob Whitaker, but yet you're in Tirol. Interesting. Um, last try was Slovenia, half September 2019, 33 minute swim, 252 bike, 137. Okay, so slow down on the run. See a pattern yet. My personal life is complicated. Dad of two kids. All right. Um, some divorce stuff. Great support from sister and girlfriend. So not really a single dad. But three-legged stool is important. Um, I get that. Um, I've been there myself. Um, so I also work as a full-time engineer. Three-legged stool always wobbles, but somehow stays upright. Well, that's life. I agree. Uh, the three-legged stool is, it does need to be wobbly. Um, and you might be wondering why wobbly? Because we're not living if it's perfectly stable. We're not living on those edges of experiencing life to its fullest at the eight, nines, and tens and a one, two, threes. If we're always at a four and five, as we've talked about on this podcast, that three-legged stool isn't wobbling and we're not figuring out and growing into our potential. There's so much more there when there's some bigger swings. We appreciate the nines and tens when we're in the ones and twos and know in the ones and twos that the eights, nines, and tens will come again. And when we're in the eight, nines, and tens, guess what? The ones and twos are going to be coming because we're living life. We're not safe. Back to the earlier topic, we're growing. We're climbing new mountains, horizons, and that takes risks. You know, we might fall. We might have to get off that one mountain, go through a valley in order to reach the next mountain and a higher peak to broaden those horizons. Totally, absolutely. I don't want a, a, le a completely stable, balanced stool. I want a wobbly one, yeah. But because we're working on it 
And that stool is wobbly also because we're risking things in each of the areas, but we're attentive and aware of it and therefore growing, growing. Anyway, uh, next year, I set myself the goal of getting into the 10th percentile. Um, there were percentages uh, mentioned in all these results. And I've signed up for half Ironman Graz in May and in full Ironman Nice in June. I'm working on my core strength and my weakness over the winter. Weaknesses over the winter. And I'm happy with my training with my coach. I'm interested in your point of view on the mental aspect. It looks like I am avoiding going too deep into the red in the run and backing off before the job is done. In every race, I've felt like I left gas in the tank. I want to go out and leave everything on the run course. How do you find the courage to do this? It's a great topic, and it's one I can relate to very, very well. I know I can run faster, but somehow my self-protection mechanism stopped me from keeping the gas on. As an aside, I completed the Öztala Farat Marathon. Um, you like the German kicking in there? Last September, uh, 238 kilometers, 5,500 meters of climbing, and had an amazing experience. A broken gear cable in Innsbruck meant climbing the smallest of the four passes to the Brenna in the small cog at my rear. My legs were trashed, then 45 minutes repair with the great Mavic guys. As I knew my race was not was now about survival, I stopped looking at the totals. Um, I had a fun climbing time. My nine-hour goal was blown. I came in around 10.45. The reason I enjoyed the event was that I raced in the moment with no clue if there was enough in my legs to finish. In the end, I steamed down Timis Joch like a bat out of hell, sprinting into the finish and feeling amazing. So I know I would let go of the result and just race in the moment. I feel great and maybe produce a better result. My coach has suggested leaving the watch at home on race day. Um, I will probably put a blank face on instead. I'm a data junkie. I am interested in your thoughts on the courage to run free. Thanks for all that you do. All right. Um, here we go. This is a very good question, and I'm sorry for the lead up, everybody, for this email. But it is something I have struggled with in the past myself. And I know I have more to race. Um, well, now I don't. <laughs> Those years have passed. But back when I did race, um, I knew I left effort on the table. Um, now, I'm not sure if this didn't benefit me in the end come crossing the finish line, um, the overall approach. But I definitely, on many and many an Ironman, um, left a fair amount of effort on the table. I'm not saying fitness, but effort. Because um, there is that self-protecting mechanism, that fear of blowing up, that internal governor, that machine learning within us that says, I felt this before, we're going to avoid that disappointment, that pain, and we're going to stay right here. That voice on our shoulder when we're racing saying this is good enough um, is quite loud. And 
the ability to break on through and find that new level of performance, that new level of ability, that new level of suffering and um, um, growth, quite honestly, is hard to do. It's definitely hard to do because of the past experiences that have shaped our current reality. Boom, right? Past experiences, enough of them shape our current reality. That's how the world works. That's how our mind works. Um, so how do you break through that? That's the question. Well, one, I learned early on from my experience that I just became fitter and fitter and fitter so that even my steady was fast enough that I was pleased with the marathon time on the back end. So that's one way. I went about it that I wanted to have a fast enough run off of a bike that was going to always be somewhat comfortable, just barely on the edge of uncomfortable. But I knew that that feel would net me a pace that would give me whether that's a 305 or a 309, sort of always in that range marathon. That was sort of my sweet spot, 305 to 310 marathon on the back end of an Ironman. Now, one time I got a DN, uh, um, not a DNF, a uh, penalty on the bike in uh, at Ironman Florida. I think it was like 2006 or 2008 or something like that. And I sat there for two or four minutes and it was a no passing zone. Um, I, I went around a, uh, another cyclist, um, and it's a no passing zone, single file, and uh, there were no cars, and I was like, this is taking forever, I'm going by them. Well, bingo, quickly got a penalty. But So I sat in transition two for the uh, in the penalty tent for, I think, two minutes. I don't think it was four minutes. Four minutes sounds extreme, but maybe it was four minutes. I was racing pro at the time, and uh, I remember... Because of that gap, because of that release, because of that exhale, because of that moment to reflect and get out of myself, I ran my best marathon. Two, and oh, it was not 259. It was 3000.2. I thought I was going under um, three hours for my marathon, which I'd never done in an Ironman to, at that point. And I was so excited. And then I forgot about the point two of a 26.2 mile marathon. So at mile 26, <laughs> I was great. I was like 259 something. I was like, sweet, I broke three. Oh, forgot the point two. But what I'm trying to explain there is that there's that, because of that gap, similar to what you're talking about that you raced in the present, um, it allowed me to run in a lot more reckless, less fearful, less control, uh, less controlled manner than I usually would. Because the Ironman experience is such a continuous steady day of managing your expectations, being patient, observing your output, your emotions, not thinking too far ahead, not thinking about the pace or the time or the result, trying to stay right where you are, because that's how you should be racing. And then ever so gradually as the finish line comes, understanding how far back from the finish line does my race begin. And so when that has happened for me, unfortunately, um, at that point in most cases, because I was either winning my age group or was far enough up front with a good enough result, despite at that point being close enough to the finish line, far enough from the finish line to start racing, to start 
reckless abandon, start, start throwing caution to the wind. That voice on my shoulders always had it that it is good enough, Chris. This is the outcome you were looking for, whether that's third, whether that's winning, whether that's first place, whatever it was. Now, it became even harder later on in the age group years of you know, leading wire to wires. Because of my swim, I was able to hold off most of the bikers and therefore, and then my run's pretty good so that then I was able to just lead the entire way. And that it didn't bring out my best performances because of a very similar aspect here of just not wanting to just throw caution to the wind and really put that forth. And those events that I did do where I did throw caution to the wind, where things went wrong, where I had to just throw things out there and just go have been the best performances. So to the question, how to have the courage to run free? Well, one, I don't think not wearing a watch or a blank face watch will change that because you are familiar with the feeling, the experience, the sensations of running just there and it being good enough, if I'm reading you correctly. But um it will require something more, something external, something that drives you beyond this percentile. And this is what I talk about a lot in this podcast. If the goal is either X or Y, black or white, when we don't achieve it, we feel ourselves um, letting go. Um, we're already judging ourselves. I am not running as fast as pace says I should be doing. Therefore, I'm already subconsciously sabotaging my future result versus if you saw a pace that was going really well and you're going faster than planned, it perpetuates you to push even more and you actually exceed your expectations, your goal. So the challenge there is how to stay engaged enough so that you don't think about the outcome and if you're failing or passing, but more of desired outcome and um, the, the process of those last 10 miles. Now, you can try to take it a little bit easier and not necessarily negative split it since that's not really possible physically if you did the, um, the event properly. Um, but... The big part for you, and this is what I would say off of also seeing some of these bike splits, I would slow down on the bike and really learn to run your best possible run, best possible marathon, and then working backwards to going faster again on the bike. And we've discussed this on here. The other aspect is what we talked about early on there, where you run 255 in training and a 330 in a race. Something about racing, something about managing, um, or not managing, something about the result and the permanence of the outcome is freezing you up. Now, this is something many struggle with. I, um, I was fortunate enough in my years of racing that I did not struggle with this. And I think that comes from the swimming aspect where, you know, hundreds of a second become the um, evaluation of a good outcome or not, or if you're first or fifth. So you're always racing with this intensity and edge and, um, you know, not worried about competition, that uh, it, it creates a different mindset. But Again, I did struggle to find courage to do the run 
to leave it out all out on the run course. I have never finished a marathon where at the end I was so out of breath and um, pushed myself so hard that you know I fell over. It was more I fell over because I forgot to drink or fuel and I was bonking and fell apart like that. Um, but so that's one aspect. We can do the bike. We can learn to um, try to force ourselves to have a second faster half. Like for example, with, uh, I think you said you're doing Nice this year. Nice is a great race in that you have four 10K loops. So start training 10K loops. Start simulating 10K loops. Start thinking about how you in training will run the third and fourth 10K loop flat. Simulate that course. Horses for courses. You have a climbing bike ride, but that one will need to be controlled. Nice is very difficult in the terrain because of that bike ride and that long descent leaves the muscles and the blood sitting in the muscles before you bike into T2. So now you have the first 10K, you find your legs. Your second 10K, you are happy with the pace that it's given you. The third 10K, you have practiced and trained and simulated and prepared your mind for will be your best 10K. Not that you leave it all out there, but you need to risk it on the third 10K because then the fourth 10K is close enough to the finish, those six miles, that 10 kilometers that you can feel and measure and put in the proper effort to the distance remaining. Your brain can wrap its mind around how much further to go and can spread out that pain and say, yes, I can do that. With 20K to go, that's too far. The brain cannot feel that, measure that, spread that out. So the focus for Nice would be the best possible, not fastest possible, highest or best effort possible third, third 10K, but just making sure that that is the most powerful, strongest, best of the four 10Ks. The first one and second one, sort of you just get through it. A lot of times when I race Ironman, um, and it's a two-loop course, or it's an out-and-back, or it's a four-loop course, I just think about getting to the halfway point. Until then, I'm just managing myself. I'm managing that pace that I'm familiar with, that I can go all day with. And hopefully I'm fit enough that that go-all-day pace is strong enough, fast enough, good enough, turnover, less taxing, that I still can then now that I've gone halfway, now we start playing around. Now we start throwing caution to the wind. Now we start pressing. Now we start risking some things. Now we might change our to Coca-Cola's because now we're starting to wanting to find out. I can figure out the last six miles. I can figure out the last 10K. That's will. That's desire. That's hunger. That's hard work. That's thinking back the sacrifices you make. That's running on air. I call running on air when you're sort of running in a memory of how hard you worked and how you're not going to back off and how hard and, and how much this means to you and what people sacrificed around you and how this community is um, invested in your outcome with you. All those things. That's the last 10K. Running on air because something else is propelling you and carrying you and feeling with you to get you to will you to that finish line. The third 10K is you. 
That's where the racing begins. That's where your day truly starts saying, okay, I can project out where I'm going to be and I will put my effort into only this six months. This is where I currently am. This is where I'm going to focus. This is where I'm going to race. This is the six miles, the 10 kilometers that I'm going to measure and measure this race by. The swim, the bike, the first 20K, doesn't matter. I want to come out of this race, this event, Ironman Nice in this case, knowing that I put forth an intention to run my best in that third 10K. And if I finish this race, no matter what the result, I completed at least that intention. Because if you manage your day right, and if you manage your energy right, and if you manage your fueling and hydration and calories and strategy and energy and watts and heart rate correctly, to that point, and you'd have a fast third 10K, fast for you, fast in general, and you achieve your intention for that 10K, you will have a good day. The last 10K are on you and on running on air. So, and cross that last 10K bridge when you get to it. But until then, you can't think about the fourth 10K until you successfully completed your intention on the third 10k and then once you're completed with that third 10k i guarantee you because you put forth such a courageous and strong and measured and uh, defined effort that you had been planning for for many months that you should be thinking of right now six months from june that you were that you know your splits and that momentum that you achieved what you had set forth to do that will carry you through that last 10K. It will accelerate you. It, you will have a smile on your face as you are running and doing that. It will feel that good. So, um, of course, I need, would need to know you a better as well in order to um, go into the deeper reasons why you're missing that courage for that past experiences, um, fear of failure, um, the story that you give yourself for that um, marathon. Um, there's a lot in there that could be unpacked that, again, that an email um, won't answer like this. But I would surely, if this were me, I would A, either work on outstanding fitness so that my controlled pace is faster than what I've done before, and then secondly, I would simulate those four 10Ks. The beauty of Ironman Triathlon is you can simulate a solid 30K run, um, three 10K loops, or even do it the other way around. So it's four, four, uh, four 10K loops. So instead do a 20-mile run off the bike and do four five-mile loops, four 8K loops, right? So now you've basically done most of the run, but you've shown that off of a five-hour bike, go ride five hours. Not a question of watts or intensity, just ride five hours. Get that load of five hours into your legs and then run four eight-kilometer loops off by and run it with that intention that the third eight-kilometer loop is your best, is your focus, is what you prepared for, is why you started this day. That's a good simulation. And then from there, growing that courage and growing that experience and growing that intention that that 10K in Nice will be the one that activates a deeper system and mindset within you 
that makes the rest of the day irrelevant other than that 10, 10K. So I hope that helps. Alrighty, that'll do it this week on the Weekly Word Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. As I go into the coast ride, um, I get quite anxious, stressed, nervous, um, making sure everybody is taken care of, has the experience that they were hoping for for the coast ride. Many have done it before, meeting those past expectations, um, meeting the new expectations by new participants and riders on the coast ride, getting them through their days successfully, um, and taking care of them all. It's all part of these next four or five days, and um, it becomes a big family that I look forward to carrying guiding, supporting, coaching, and enjoying each other's company down the coast. So um, I will see you all on the other side of that. I hope to share um, as much as I can to my current abilities with regards to social media and updates. And um, yeah, you can follow there. Remember, I'm Aimp Coach on the IG, as my kids call it, Instagram. Took me a while to figure out what IG was, but my kids taught me well. Alrighty. Have a great week. Bye.